The rules now in place for the trial of impeached Attorney General Ken Paxton, and his wife will play a role. And indeed, many of the accusations concern infidelity by the Attorney General, so that will be awkward on a number of levels. Why her presence in the trial could influence the outcome. We dig deeper into the rules. A new Texas law aims to boost businesses. Opponents call it the Death Star and say it takes too much power away from local governments. Why the lawmaker who wrote it says the state needs more laws like this. Plus, we talked to the man behind an attempt to bring Texans the largest property tax cut ever. What's different about this plan and can it end the standoff between the state's top leaders? Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ryan Chandler. And I'm Monica Madden. Josh Hinkle is out this week. We now know when the fate of impeached Attorney General Ken Paxton will be decided, with the Texas Senate set to convene as a jury on September 5th. And on Wednesday night, senators approved the rules that will govern that trial, among them implications for transparency and for the role of State Senator Angela Paxton, the defendant's wife. State Senator Angela Paxton barred from voting, but allowed to listen in as the Senate decides her husband's fate. So that will be awkward on a number of levels. But just her presence in the trial could still influence the outcome because conviction requires two thirds of the senators present. Whether she votes to acquit her husband or doesn't vote at all has the same effect. She won't be counted as a vote towards conviction. So I think some sort of compromise is reached that lets her sit there, not say a word, not vote, but in a way still basically not cast a vote to convict her husband. Everyone involved was also placed on a strict gag order. No members of the court shall discuss or comment on any matter relating to the merits of the proceedings before the court of impeachment. The only rule read aloud, reminding members that all are prohibited from speaking about the trial, including advocating in the press or to each other. The rules were taken kindly by the House and their prosecutors. House General Investigating Chairman Andrew Murr saying they respect the importance of a fair impeachment trial. And prosecutors Rusty Harden and Dick DeGuerin saying the rules provide a fair trial for both sides. The trial's presiding officer promising just that. And the citizens of Texas can count on the Senate of Texas to have a fair and just trial. Three senators voted against the rules. That was Angela Paxton and fellow Republican Bob Hall, as well as Austin Democrat Sarah Eckhart. Eckhart wrote an explanation about why she voted no and had that placed in the Senate journal before the vote. She wrote that she believes the rules unfairly favor Paxton and that they give the Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick quote, near total control over the proceedings. She also raised a concern with what she called the unprecedented ability of the defense to win a dismissal of an article of impeachment by a simple majority vote. Joining us now for analysis is Scott Braddock, editor of The Quorum Report, covering all things Texas politics. Scott, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. So, you know, Senator Eckhart raised some concerns about the powers that the lieutenant governor is going to have during this mm -hmm. trial presiding over it. Is any of that unusual, this level of control he has, at least in this context? You know, the lieutenant governor has spent about 20 years working to consolidate power in his office and in himself uh, in particular, and I 
didn't see why that was going to change for an impeachment trial. Uh, he's been working on the Senate rules since he first ran for the Senate, going back to 2006, uh, to change the threshold for what it takes uh, for, for a bill to come to the floor. Really ends up consolidating power in the lieutenant governor's office. So I'm not surprised about it. Uh, but we only have two examples in the past uh, on record for impeachments. One was of a judge in South Texas. The other was of a governor back in 1917. Uh, and so there's not a whole lot of precedent to pull out those old uh, documents and dust those off and figure out how to do this. They're kind of flying blind on a lot of this. Yeah, that may be why this was not a smooth process at all, getting these rules done. The, yeah. the, the original committee had three weeks to work on it, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then once they were presented to all the senators, it took almost two full days to hammer all the details. Mm -hmm. We saw them recess and come back and recess and come back. But they've been very tight-lipped about what they were discussing behind mm -hmm. closed doors. Do you have any sense on what the holdups or the disagreements on these rules were? There was not a lot of chatter out of those closed-door meetings. Uh, the senators, I can tell you, are taking it very seriously that they're not supposed to comment either publicly or privately about what's going on in these proceedings. They're taking their job as jurors seriously. Um, I do believe in just observing the process that the major sticking point had to be what will the role of Paxton's wife, who was a state senator, what, were, what will her role be? Uh, and again, they had to thread this needle carefully because uh, the Constitution says that the Senate can come up with its rules and maybe create a situation for recusals, but it also says that all senators need to sit for the trial. Now, I do believe that there's a mechanism by which they could have completely excluded Angela Paxton, but they chose not to do that. They left it such that he, she can be present, but it's important to note she can't vote on the outcome at the end of the trial and she can't be in the closed door deliberations of the Senate, and both of you have covered the Senate, you know this. The meeting in the Senate that's the most important is the one they always have behind closed doors before they come out on the floor yeah. and do whatever they're going to do. And so if Angela Paxton was planning, let's just say this is her, her plan, if she was planning to be in that room to advocate for her husband, she won't be. I would say that if you held the vote today, there's probably a majority of senators who would vote to convict, but not a supermajority. Mm. My head counts around uh, 17 senators. Wow. wow, wow. You know, from the other parties, we've heard almost unanimous praise of these rules mm -hmm. from both uh, councils, from the prosecutors and the defense, uh, from the House impeachment managers. They said that this lays out a fair trial. Is that the general sense, or are there any other concerns that you're hearing about these rules? Well, there were only three no votes. I mean, it's important to point out. So right. the Senate is essentially on the same page. There's always, I mean, when they debate the uh, the most important work product of the legislature, the budget, there's often maybe one or two no votes. There's always some dissent. Uh, but I think for Republicans and Democrats, and for uh, the folks the, who are on both sides of this, Paxton supporters and those who want to see him removed, they got probably the best deal that they could have gotten. Uh, I think a lot of this was a compromise, and that's why it did take so long behind closed doors to come up with these rules. All right, Scott Braddock of The Quorum Report, thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure, thank you. Thanks, Scott. Is a bill that takes power away from local government good for the Texas economy? And I'm so proud of that bill, and I think it is going to be a boon to the Texas economy. Opponents call it the Death Star Bill. Why the man who wrote it says it should instead be seen as a new hope. The lieutenant governor says senators just passed the largest tax cut in world history. We'll talk to the author of the plan that aims to end the tax standoff between Texas leaders.
Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill that limits the power of local governments. Supporters say it's good for jobs, since it keeps businesses from facing what they call a patchwork of regulations in different parts of Texas. But opponents call it the Death Star Bill. They say it destroys rules that protect Texans, like mandatory breaks for construction workers and restrictions on evictions. The bill is getting more attention, though, as the state faces several consecutive days of near-record heat. Grace Reeder digs into the concerns about how the bill could affect men and women who make their living working outside. Union representatives say local rules that help keep these construction workers safe are about to be stripped. Governor Greg Abbott signed what opponents call the Death Star Bill into law. It was really disappointing to see that the governor signed that bill. I think that for cities throughout the state, it's going to make it's going to tie their hands in setting policies that are meant to protect the citizens of their areas. One of the local ordinances that's going away, Austin's mandatory water break for construction workers. It's been in place since 2010 and requires a water break every 4 hours. Texas leads the nation in in construction worker fatalities, particularly from overexposure to heat. The president of the local Associated Builders and Contractors of Texas says safety on job sites is important to them too, but that mandatory water breaks are just a small piece of the puzzle and that the bill will make it so that companies can act consistently. In one case, one of my members has 19 active job sites in different jurisdictions and having that consistency from job site to job site is really, really critical. Meanwhile, the Texas Association of Business says this particularly helps small businesses who don't have legal departments and HR teams to track each and every city's rules. Let the cities handle police, fire, cultural, uh, trash collection, zoning, and let the state handle matters uh, concerning uh, regulations that uh, our businesses need to comply with. Workers unions say that's the silver lining in this for them too. Now their fight to keep workers safe is headed to the state. Now. All we have is one one battlefield, really, and that's that's the state house. So this very well could end up blowing up in their face. Grace Reader, State of Texas. State Representative Dustin Burroughs wrote the so-called Death Star Bill. He spoke with Brian Mudd on Lubbock's Talking Points politics program and told him that Texans could see more legislation like this. And I'm so proud of that bill, and I think it is going to be a boom to the Texas economy, creating more jobs, more revenues, and more prosperity for the long run. And you mentioned at least the possibility of keeping an eye on things and adding more oversight uh, of some of these local governments as well. Is there anything particular you have your eye on? You mentioned a lot there already. Well, we, we, we keep watching it. We saw the other day in Dallas where they were going to start firing employees who didn't use somebody's uh, pronouns correctly. Um, you know, we're starting to see things like that. So we may have a new reason we have to involve. We saw in San Antonio where they were trying to basically, you know, uh, allow thieves to get away with committing crimes up to a certain amount of money. We're not going to have our liberal cities in Texas turn into the dumpster fires that Portland and Seattle turned into where crime is rampant. We're not going to stand by and watch that. So if the so-called Death Star Bill, I think it's more the new hope, right? You know, mm -hmm. doing right. the Star Wars the thing, Star Wars stuff, you know, yeah. uh, it needs to be expanded. It's going to be shut down those things to keep Texas the character we know and expect. This law takes effect on September 1st. Experts we talked to tell us that they expect a lot of lawsuits as cities work to figure out what they can and cannot regulate. A tax cut for the ages, the Senate's attempt to bring Texans a huge property tax relief package amid the standoff between the state's top leaders. Maps five years out of date and a much needed mobile payment app abandoned. Our investigation uncovers more problems facing a Texas toll road system.
Texas leaders are still at odds over plans to lower your property taxes. But on Tuesday, the Texas Senate announced its largest property tax relief plan yet. The Senate plan maintains Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's priority of raising the homestead exemption to $100,000. It also lowers school district property tax rates and expands the state's franchise tax exemption for businesses. The governor and the House have put more of an emphasis on lowering those tax rates and Patrick hopes the new Senate plan can break that stalemate. A lot of what is in this bill is the best of what there was quite a bit of agreement on. So we ask our colleagues in the House to come back and give this bill serious consideration. The taxpayers are waiting for their tax cut and the clock is ticking. If the plan passes, it would require voter approval in a constitutional amendment election. There is an August deadline to get a measure on the ballot for the November election. Shortly after the Senate's vote, Governor Abbott's office signaled he still favors his own plan. A spokesperson wrote that the governor's goal is to put Texans on a pathway to eliminate their school maintenance and operations property taxes. And the best way to do that is to devote all property tax relief to cutting property tax rates, end quote. For insight, we're joined by the author of the Senate property tax plan, Republican State Senator Paul Betancourt of Houston. Senator, welcome on to State of Texas. Thank you. So we've heard the governor call for a plan to use all of the money that's set aside for property tax relief and use it to lower school property taxes. Your plan, however, uses some of that money to also raise the homestead exemptions. Some people watching from the outside see a state where Republicans are in control of everything and think, right. you know, they should be able to figure this out. They had all session to work on a property tax uh, compromise. That was the number one promise that we heard from many Republicans on the campaign trail. So what is your message to those constituents who might see some of this infighting going on and think, well, this seems a little disorganized? Where, where's our tax cut? Well, the, and, and that's a great question. And look, in the special session, the Senate passed a bill the first day and, and we have stayed in session and we've taken many other actions. You all have covered it. Uh, unfortunately, the House passed their version, then quit. It was called sine die. Now, it's very difficult to negotiate by telephone, but we've been doing our best from the Senate. Uh, and what we did this week was pass another version of all the best ideas that we saw and passed it unanimously, had a press conference, asked for the House to come back uh, come back to work, um, which still hasn't happened yet. Um, so it takes, unfortunately, two chambers, both the upper chamber and the lower chamber, to pass a bill and send it to the, uh, the governor. Um, and... So well, we'll wait for that to occur because these good ideas stand for themselves. Um, my, my tweet about this at Team Betancourt went to 132,000 people, which is astonishing. I've never seen, uh, I've never had a tweet go that far in my life. Um, so people are really interested in this. The homestead exemption is a very important point of this because you don't pay. See, the, mo the most powerful thing I can do as a tax writer is say, don't pay, you know, and that's an exemption or a rollback rate reduction uh, or a franchise tax doubling. So 67,000 uh, home, I mean, business owners don't pay. That's the way to go. Okay. Um, and, and importantly, I hope that message gets through to my house colleagues and they come back and they take the bill up. Well, Senator, it seems like it's uh, it's going to be a long, hot summer at the legislature. The Senate now adjourned until Tuesday, the last day of the first special. So it seems like we're going into special number two. Is that your assessment? 
Well, look, I, I never try to, um, uh, you know, predetermine what the governor uh, will do. Uh, that's up to him. But we put the Senate has put a great tax uh, bill out for the public. Lieutenant Governor Patrick supports us strongly. We've been getting just fabulous response from all parts of the state uh, because it has a fantastic homestead exemption of $100,000. It's got, you know, tax relief in the form of tax compression and franchise tax relief. Uh, it's got limitations on the growth of government so that future tax bills for cities and, excuse me, for school districts won't go up more than 1.75%. And, and, and when you sum all that together, you get a, a, a fantastic uh, uh, plan uh, for the public. And we've been getting nothing but positive responses. So I, I hope that, uh, that what we pass says something. See, we've stayed and worked. We stayed and worked to come up with the best possible tax plan. Uh, and that's what you have to do. And then once it passes, you've got to go listen to the public. Um, and, and, and this is a, a huge extension over what's already worked last year in Houston, Austin, and San Antonio. And, and $18 billion is a record number. In fact, Lieutenant Governor Patrick says it is uh, the, a worldwide record. And, uh, and it's bipartisan. All the Republicans, all the Democrats support this plan uh, in the Senate. So I, I hope that the plan speaks for itself. Uh, and uh, you can see all of it at, uh, you know, on my social media and get more details uh, because I don't think we leave any taxpayer behind. All right, let's get more viral tweets for you, Senator. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Senator. If you want people to pay their toll bills, you have to make it easy, intuitive, uh, lessen the barriers for people to access that technology. A mobile app could help one Texas toll road system drive down customer complaints. Why plans to get a text tag app up and running stalled out. Text tag troubles update. New concerns surface over the state-run toll system operated by the Texas Department of Transportation. This time, it's about the agency's technology standards. Investigator Matt Grant uncovered online tollway maps five years out of date and a mobile payment app that's now quietly abandoned. We're going on a trip. Down US 183, the Bergstrom Expressway, an eight-mile stretch in East Austin, operated by the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority, is touted as a key north-south alternative to I-35. It costs nearly a billion dollars. Here, tolls are collected by CTRMA, one of a handful of regional agencies across the state authorized to develop toll roads. This particular highway has been in use for more than two years, but you'd never know that. And they're showing us under construction. By looking at the Texas Department of Transportation's website. What does that tell you? It's not a priority. Nick Wood is an associate research engineer with Texas A&M's Transportation Institute, which has done transit studies for the federal government and TxDOT. He's troubled some of TxDOT's own public roadmaps haven't been updated since July 7, 2018. Why do you think it's taken five years to update? That's a good question. I don't know. He doesn't know why some of the state's maps aren't just outdated, but also confusing. On this map of Austin, Wood points out a color coding system that doesn't make clear if a road is owned by Textag, CTRMA, or if it's fully tolled. Mopac Express, that is a tolled lane, one in each direction. And SH-130, that's all lanes that are tolled. And they're both on the map the same color. 
unless you're like an engineer like me, it's kind of hard to decipher. Technology troubles have been a source of customer frustration. Since 2020, 25% of all TechStack complaints sent into KXAN related to technical problems, things like paying bills and accessing account information. We found similar complaints of computer and system errors made directly to TechStot since 2020 about the state's own tolling system, TechStag, which works on tollways across the state. One frustrated driver complained a TechStag manager said in response to incorrect charges, the technology is not perfect. And if you want people to pay their toll bills, you have to make it easy, intuitive, uh, lessen the barriers for people to access that technology. According to the International Bridge, Turnpike and Tunnel Association, the worldwide association for toll owners and operators, a mobile payment app is considered best practice. The North Texas Tollway Authority and Harris County Toll Road Authority each have one. In 2018, one was in the works for Textag. The CEO of the company Payit announced a partnership with TxDOT to build an app touting mobile is where citizens are and it is important to the Department of Transportation to make resources available in the most modern, efficient way. So what happened? TxDOT says it awarded Payit a no-cost contract in 2018, meaning no money was paid. But the app was placed on hold as TextTag was working to address back office system issues. Wood says reinvesting in technology would go a long way to drive down complaints. Try to understand how people are using technology and try to meet them where they're at because they are a government agency and at the end of the day, they're responsible to the people. After I brought the outdated maps to their attention, I was told the agency is currently working to update information located on those pages. TxDOT did not respond when I asked why it took five years and us pointing it out to do so. Matt Grant, State of Texas. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Monica Madden. I'm Ryan Chandler. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.